That's how Pastor used to start. You remember that? I don't think I've heard him say that in a while. Not that he doesn't use the Bible. He just doesn't say those words. <coughs> I don't know why I closed this. I kind of need this open. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you today. I have... Um, tickled my throat. I have handed out the scriptures uh, handout. For those of you who are watching this online, we will have those up momentarily. We will have slides, of course, that you can follow along as well. Um, but I was following, as many of you, the selection and um, not worried about what was going to happen. The truth of the matter is that regardless of who is chosen, was chosen, God is still on his throne, amen? He is still sovereign, as, as Brother Les pointed out. And, um, I, you know, I saw somebody react to that and, and say, you can't say that. You've got to be very careful when you say that because it does matter who is in the, uh, who's the president because of policies and all this stuff. And I get it. I, I understand that. But, but again, the fact of the matter is that regardless of who is there, we as Christians have a responsibility. We have a faith. We have a duty to faith. And, and that's really the title of my sermon here, Faith, the Essential Worker. Uh, it's a little play on, you know, the Rona. Um, but, but we have a responsibility and a duty to our faith and, and the things that God has called us to do. And, and how he wants to move through us and, and to this world. As I was um, praying about what the Lord wanted me to speak on, um, I started just to study and, and look into his word. And, and really what, what hit me the most for this season is the I am's found in the book of John. So we're, we're actually going to go through the I am's of Jesus. And the first one here is found in, in John chapter 6. So if you're following along in your, in your Bible, John chapter 6, if you're following along on this sheet, uh, I copied it there for you. John chapter 6, verse 48. I am that bread of life. As your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This comes from, obviously, Exodus chapter 16, which is our next scripture, and we're going to go through it. Um, but Jesus says here in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And he references directly the manna that was in the wilderness. So let's read it. And the Lord, Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even I shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at evening the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, 
it is manna, which translated is, what is it? For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take you every man for them which are in the tents. The children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he gathered much, had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. One more. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This specific I am of Jesus speaks of God's provision in our lives. I, I think about this I am, especially in light of what's going on uh, in this nation. And, and think about what the presidency means for, for my family in regards to taxes and policies and laws and things like that. I, I think about what's going on. With, with the virus and what that means for my family and, and the, the staying in and, and the, the lack of toilet paper and all that stuff. I think about all the things that are going on in this world and, and it is very easy for any individual out there to worry about provision. And, and it was made mention earlier today too, we think about this obviously from a very uh, America-centric worldview because we live in America. We have many people listening from across the world, in, in France, Belgium, Switzerland, Brazil, thank you, Stacy. many places um, that, that don't have that particular uh, leader, but they have a different leader that may be worse, that may be better than, than what we hope or, or are experiencing. When I look at this I am and what's going on in the world, it, it's very easy to see, based on what's in the world, that fear would come upon us that you would be worried about what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to all the things that I have. And, and I just want to be clear that those concerns over rulership are, are worldly, not spiritual. Look, we have nothing to worry about. There is nothing that's going to keep us from the love of God and the provision that he has for us. Amen? His, his bread, his provision is here for us exactly when we need it. You know, we, we um, as Kelly mentioned earlier, we... We lost salary as a family because of what happened with Kelly's work. But at no point in time did we despair and worry that God was not going to take care of us. I, I count myself blessed, extremely blessed to have the, the jobs that we have, the opportunities that we have, and, and to be able to move forward in the things that God has blessed us with to help others, um, to sow into this church, to sow into different types of ministries, to sow into the different organizations that we're a part of, uh, where we give of our, our time and our money. I, I'm so blessed to be able to do that. Not many people can say that. Not many people feel like they are blessed in that capacity. And I completely get it. I completely understand. And, and I, again, I totally feel that this is something that God has given us and, and we feel blessed by it. It is not something that's come from me and how great I am or anything like that. We understand it is God's blessing. Many people out there don't feel this way. They don't feel 
like God's blessing or hand is upon them. And, and it's sad. Here's the thing. When, when you look at God's provision, his bread, I think it's important to recognize where this came from, especially in light of Exodus chapter 16. When, when it says that um, everybody that gathered gathered exactly what was necessary for them as an individual. And those that tried to hoard it found that the next morning that it was disgusting, it was rotten, it wasn't, it wasn't edible anymore. And those that gathered just enough didn't have anything left over, and, and it was exactly what they needed for their sustenance. That is truly what God has called us to do, to be. It, it's not about the amount of money that you have or the amount of things that you have. It's really about relying on God and his provision and what he's going to do for us. That's, that's the heart and the essence of I am the bread. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't focus on the things that you don't or do have. Focus on how you are going to be a benefit to others. That's really what God wants us to do in this day and age. As we start looking at the, the different I am's, I want you to see it in the lens of what is, what is Jesus saying I am for you? And what is Jesus saying you are for this world? And that's really something that you can definitely recognize in the next one. Let's look at John chapter 8. Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So this is the next I am. I am the light of the world. But, but you take that to the next logical conclusion, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and, give it, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is, this is something that resonated with me deeply. Because of where we are as Christians, because of where, uh, what are, where our influence is in this network and, and what God has called us to, it is very important that we take this to heart and understand that you are the light of the world. You know, when I think about the light of Jesus, what, what he called um, what God called Jesus to do and, and to, to be when he was here on this earth, as, as he shone, if you will, to um, the, the people around him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of the things that, that we see in the life of Jesus is his adherence and his dedication to the people, to loving people, to understanding them, to getting them where they needed to be out of from where they were. We, we recognize that, that as Jesus was going out on this world, he wasn't just healing people one after the other. He wasn't going and, and touching every single person that he saw. You, you look at it, look in the word, and it's very strategic how he's going by. He loved everybody. But when he went to the pool of Siloam, as he's healing this man, notice that there were other people around there as well. He didn't go to those people and start healing them. He healed that one individual. You wonder why. You know, it's, it's funny because people, um, this day and age, they talk about Jesus as being this, this very um, social knight, going out, out and, and breaking social injustice and doing all these things against 
the social norms, societal norms, and, and trying to create this revolution. When you look at the word of God, that is not what was happening. Jesus was creating a spiritual revolution, a spiritual one, not a social one. He wanted us to change our hearts and, and by extension, our lives to really see what God was saying for them at the time because they had come to a place where religion, where, where adherence to all of these laws and regulations was keeping them from truly understanding God's word and, and life and, and where they needed to be. And so Jesus, as he's walking around, as he's talking to these people, is trying to change their mindset. Yes, he went to sinners, but he changed the sinner. He pulled them away from the sin and said, look, start living your life right. Start moving forward with me. He didn't say, look, I love you, and, and, I, and I, I understand your sin, and I understand that you struggle with it, you can't get away from it, so follow me and continue in your sin. That's not what he said. He said, stop sinning. Take up your cross. Stop doing what you're doing and come and follow me. That's the Jesus that we see in the Bible. Not the one that says everything is acceptable, everything is okay, you go live your truth, you go live your life. The one that said, look, there is a life that you need to live and you need to live that right now. I forgive you and I want you to move forward. I love you. I understand your struggles and I love you and I understand that, that you feel like you have to be this way. You don't. You don't. Go and sin no more is what he was telling them. So there's no social Jesus here. There's a spiritual Jesus, a Jesus that wants you to live a pure spiritual life and to change that mentality that it's all going to be okay into it's only going to be okay if I follow you, Jesus. We are the light of the world. So Jesus brings that light into the world. He comes into this world, and, and he starts to, to manifest the, the healing and, and the, um, the touching of lives, the miracles, all these things that he's going through. And, and he tells his disciples, look, you are supposed to be like me. I'm, I'm going to have you follow me closely, follow me, walk with me, and do all these things that I'm doing. Did they struggle? Absolutely. Absolutely they struggled. You see Peter as, as he's there and he's saying, Lord, I will, I will never uh, deny you. And he's like, nope, you're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me and, and you're going to pretend you don't even know me. But it's okay, Peter, because I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you are strengthened, I want you to gird up your brothers because then you're going to understand that, that you're not perfect. And that's okay. I don't expect you to be perfect but I do expect you to pick yourself up and move forward. That's the kind of light that Jesus was trying to show these people. That's the kind of light that he wants us to be out there in this world. So are we gonna mess up? Yeah, yeah, I mess up. Yeah, we sin. But, but it doesn't mean that we wallow in that sin and just say, look, that's, that's who I am. That's my truth. I'm just gonna continue to live it. That's not truth. That's not truth. We, as individuals, as saints, as Christians, need to be the light that this world needs to see. And let me tell you something, it's very difficult, especially now in this day and age, especially with the way that, that this world is moving towards. It, it is very difficult to, to be a light and still be a loving person. I get it, there's a, there's a balance there, right? I, I love you and I understand the struggle that you're going through. Maybe, maybe I don't know it, maybe I've never understood how it is that you go through it. I, maybe I don't 
um, empathize, but I sympathize with your struggle. But at the same time, I understand that it is a struggle and I love you and you need to get away from it. How, how do you balance that with somebody who says, no, no, this is, this is me, this is who I am? How do you balance that in, in light of social media and the things that we put out there? I've, I've said it from this pulpit before, I hate social media. I hate the way that, that we put ourselves out there and, and we give pick people a snapshot or a picture of our thoughts and, and our ideas, but we don't give them the fullness of what we're really trying to provide. And so 99% of the time, it's misinterpreted, it's misaligned, it's miscommunicated, and because of that, offense comes. And that offense breeds defense. And that defense breeds this insecurity and this fear. And so now everybody's going around in this world insecure, fearful, and angry at one another. That's all that's brought around is anger and fear. Has it connected us? Yes, it's made the world a little bit smaller. But at the same time, it's put us into a position where we are now saying things that people don't understand our heart. And when we say them, it's miscommunicated, and now everybody's angry at everybody. It's a travesty out there when, when we say things that we, we kind of mean, but we don't mean it that way, and, and it just comes around across wrong. There's so much offense now in this world. Everything is offensive. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the, the latest offense, and, and I understand it. I'm not, I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I understand it. The, there's a movie that came out recently, and, and the villain of the movie had... Um, basically three fingers. So three, she was a witch. She had three really long fingers. And um, the dis- disabled community, uh, because that is a disability that's out there, they, they rose up and they started boycotting the movie. And, you know, you're making fun of us. You're making us look like villains. Uh, there was a hashtag, I'm not a witch, and they were holding up their, their uh, deformation. I completely understand it. I, I don't think it was meant in that spirit, but I completely understand it. So right, wrong, or indifferent, I get it, but all of this offense has started to bolster and and bubble inside of our communities, and it's left us into a place where anything, anything said is now wrong, and and it's hard to be out there and to communicate in this type of world. So, So really, what is God asking of us? It's to be a light, and and to be a light, you have to be very, very mindful of what you say, what you post, what you do. And, and when you put yourself out there, you've got to be understanding and recognize what it is that your words are displaying. So here, here's another one. 1 Peter 5, chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, makes you perfect. Establish strength, settle you. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Be sober, be vigilant. Obviously not talking about alcohol. It's talking about you recognizing all the things that are out there, being mindful of what's going on in the world and in your life as the light that God has called you to be. The next I am, the door. I'm going through this really fast. The door. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I I put these together because I want to talk about them as as one unit. Obviously, he did say them in two different instances, and we're going to read those instances. 
But in John chapter 10, verse 7, we see Jesus saying unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's read the next one, Matthew 7. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Let's read the next one, and then we'll go into it. John chapter 10, 11. So immediately after that verse, the, the first verse we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The, hiring fle the hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know, know I the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. So obviously a, a direct reference to his crucifixion, his eventual resurrection, um, but talking about being a, a shepherd, a steward of the people, and, and wanting us to understand that he's not going to leave us, right? He's not a hireling. He's not going to get scared off by the wolf as it comes. He's going to be mindful of the people, love the people, etc. So, so beautiful verse there, passage talking about him taking care of us uh, and, and provision. Then when we talk about the door, so Jesus is the door, things coming in, things coming out. Uh, obviously, it's not something that prevents the sheep from going out. He, he takes them out, lets them go pasture. Um, when, you, when you take it to a, another level or by extension into people, really talking about how um, he protects us and, and keeps us in this safe place, but he knows we go out to these pastures, and uh, you can talk about missionary work, etc. right there. But, but to me, at the heart of these two verses, really, is, is God's ability to take care of every single one of our needs, not, not just from a provision standpoint, um, but, but from a purpose standpoint. We, we are in this place, and we have purpose. There, there is a reason that you, as an individual, are here, part of the Saints Network, on this world, whatever you want to say it. Um, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He, he wants to move inside of you in such a way that you are touching this world. So when we look at the, the bread and the manna, what do we provide to others? That, that's at the heart of this. When we look at the, the light of the world, what do we uh, exemplify in this world to touch other people's lives? When we look at this concept of the door and, and the good shepherd, how are we shepherding, helping, protecting those around us? Truly at the heart of all of these, and we've only got two more left, but truly at the heart of these here um, is, is the concept that God has called you to be the Jesus that some people will, will only ever see. 
because they are, they're not necessarily going to step into the doors of a church. They're not going to sit down and start reading the Bible on their own. You are the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd to these people. So, so what does your life exemplify for them? How is this transcending into that spiritual atmosphere that God has called you to? When, when we think about prayer, when we think about fasting, all the things that, that we do as, as part of this church, how has God asked you to extend that into your daily life, into work or school or wherever it is that you, you spend most of your time? What is it that God is doing in you that is shown out there to others? That's what this really is all about. And, and so looking at this concept of, of the door and the good shepherd, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit last week about this, this verse, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. A lot of times I feel like, like we as Christians, we, we understand the timing of God and so we wait for God to do something and God's waiting for us to do something. We have to be a people that know when to ask and, and to ask and to not stop asking until we know the purpose of God is accomplished. I, I think about the enemy and, and what he tries to do to infiltrate um, our lives. And, and many, many have this thought that, that the enemy is doing everything bad that ever happens to you. And I, I just don't know if I think that's true. I know that there is an enemy out there. I know that there is a devil and he hates you. He hates me, and he wants us to fail. And, and he tries everything to, to put in our way to keep us from the purpose of God. I, but I truly also believe that this spiritual being is something that tries to infiltrate more than anything our hearts and our minds. And it's not some outward influence that's coming in and necessarily attacking, although that happens sometimes. It's more of this concept of, of me and myself and selfishness which is the heart of the enemy, wanting to do things for myself and, and staying away from putting myself out there and being the provision that, other needs, that others need, being the light in the world that others need, being someone that, that is able to provide and to support and, and help in, in a purposeful manner. That's really what the heart of the enemy is all about. You keep to yourself. You worry about yourself. So, so I'm very mindful of what I do put out there in social media. If anything, it's very mild. There's pictures of, of my family. Uh, people can see how, how beautifully my daughters are growing up. It's kept private. Not everybody is able to see those pictures. You have to be invited um, or, or you have to ask for permission, whatever it's called. I've had people that try to um, ask for that permission. I don't know you, so I just don't confirm it. I don't allow it. I, I don't want them to know. I don't, I don't care for them to see this is just for me and my family. So I, I keep these things precious. Going back to that scripture about putting uh, pearls before swine. And, and I would challenge you, those of you out there listening to this message, what is it that you are casting before this world? And, and what is it that you are saying out there that may cause offense? What are you putting out there that, that people will misunderstand because it's being miscommunicated? What, what pictures are you posting or, or uh, reposting, maybe someone else said, that you know might hurt someone else's feelings or, or whatever? Look, I'm not saying that we have to be careful. No, no. I'm not saying that we have to be so scared of the world that we don't put ourselves out there. I have an opinion. And, and sometimes people don't think it's the right opinion. I, I get that. Uh, sometimes I, I have an opinion that's, a, that's maybe a little bit strong and uh, forceful, but you know, that's what an opinion is. 
those opinions I try very carefully not to put out there. The things that I will put out there are the things that I know and I believe because that's truth. And that truth comes from the word of God. Those facts and figures, and if you wanted to call it opinion, that's fine, but those things I have assurance in and will absolutely talk to you about it if you want to talk about it. If you want to debate, let's debate. I, I'm not afraid to put myself out there in that way. I, I am mindful, again, of what it is that I'm saying so as to not cause offense. If you want to discuss it, let's discuss it. But I'm not just going to post things out there to offend somebody and rile people up. And that's really what people have started doing is just posting things out there to rile people up. You know, um, I, I've got cousins, uh, obviously Hispanic, Mexican cousins, who are, are very uh, vocal in their support for our newly elected president um, and, and very anti our ex-president. And, and they're, saying, they're, they're saying things like, if, if you are ever a Trump supporter, you're a racist, and you're a misogynist, and you're a this, and you're a that, because you support this person, uh, which is obviously very inflammatory, right? Just because you support a person and, and potentially certain policies doesn't make you that necessarily. I can see the two come together. I get it. I, I get it. I understand that. Um, I, I had been very careful not to go back and say something to them because I don't want to have that debate on a text. I don't want to put a bunch of emojis and let them see how disappointed I am because that's not the way that you communicate, right? You don't, you don't look at somebody and just start making faces and, oh, yep, I understand what you're saying. I never understood the emoji. So these, these people, they're, they're posting these things and, and, and some of these things hurt my heart. You know, one, one thing that I am diametrically opposed to, I think many people in this room are, is, is abortion, right? We, we are a, a very diametrically opposed to abortion, and, and all of that implies. And they, they, they say out there that it's, it's a, a debate between a woman's body and her choices and her freedoms and not about the life of a child. Um, so I'm not a woman, I, I, I guess I don't get to say anything when it comes to this a debate, uh, but I obviously have opinions about that. Um, but I have to be very careful. I have to be very careful when I say things. Here's the thing. When I think about abortion and what that means, if, if, I, if my daughters were to run into this room and someone were to try to hurt them, don't you think I would try to stop them? I mean, I would, right? You would. You, you're, they're not even your daughters and you would come and try to stop them. If someone was hurting my daughters, you as an individual would want to stop that person from hurting my daughters. And, and that's, to me, the heart of this thing. It, it's not about being a man. It's not about being a woman. It's about there is a life that is in danger. And it is a life, let me tell you. There is a life that is in danger. Shouldn't we be able to rise up and say, hey, that's wrong? I, I don't believe that that is okay. That's wrong. And, and you can talk about the, the debates of, of incest and rape and all these, I, I, I understand. There's, there's, there's a lot of gray in this thing. And, and you know, the, the potential harm to the woman, she might not live, etc. I get it. But, but shouldn't we as a people be able to talk about this uh, in such a way that, that we open our hearts and our minds to really see the heart of this thing? When, when we look at what happened in um, 
in Exodus. And, and when we look at what happened in the New Testament, both situations where a ruler was saying, hey, I'm going to kill any child two years old or younger. If there's a, there's a pregnant woman, kill the baby. If there's, a, if there's a newborn, kill the baby. Anybody two years old and younger had to die. And, and we, we look at that as Christians and say, well, that, that's, that's awful. That's awful. How is this not the same thing? So, so there's so much out there in this world to be quote-unquote debated. I take my orders from what's said in the word of God. That's where we get our faith. That's where we get our truth. It's not my opinions. It's, it's not the thoughts that I'm thinking that, hey, this, is, this makes logical sense to me, so obviously it must be right. It's very easy to do, and you see people doing that. But we have to be very mindful of who we are because people are watching. People are watching. They're watching you. They're watching me. I, I told you before that, that I was in a meeting and, and someone said, hey, I, I heard you were a pastor. I never told this person I was a pastor. They heard. I told somebody that someone told someone else that someone told someone else. And somehow it got to this individual and he said, hey, I heard you were a pastor. Well, I wasn't going to hide it. I wasn't going to deny it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, small church in Dallas, blah, blah, blah. We talked about it a little bit, and then we went off into our meeting. People are watching me, though. They're watching you. And, and uh, what I find a travesty is pastors who are out there in this world that do stupid things and then have to quit their ministry, who do stupid things and, and have an affair or they're caught doing drugs or whatever it is that they might be doing, and, and then it brings down this concept of Christianity. It, it brings down the concept of, oh, okay, Christians are, you know, they're supposed to be this, but actually they're hypocrites, they're liars. I hate that. It's awful that we have to live that. But it, it should not prevent us from being the people that God has called us to be. Should not prevent you from rising up and saying, look, that's, that's not me. I'm better than that. But it should make you mindful that people are watching and they're judging you even though that's not right they're judging us they're looking at us because we are the bread we are the light we are supposed to be good shepherds to the people that's what God has called us to let's look at the next one John chapter 11 and Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe thou this? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And then again, let's read this last one and we'll talk a little bit about it. John 14, 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. This world needs Jesus. There are many Christians out there who feel dead, who feel like they don't know what to do. There, there is no path forward for them. And, and they feel like uh, all these things that, that have been attacking them or for, have kept them from moving forward have just been too much. They're, they're too debilitating. To, to those of you who feel that way, I will say, Jesus is the resurrection, and he will give you that life. Our reliance on Jesus, his mandates, his word, is, is what you need to sustain yourself. 
So, so we go out there and we think, wow, this world is completely messed up. I just want to live in this little bubble and not put myself out there. I just want to put myself in, in this little cocoon of Christianity and keep myself from being, being what you know, other people will see. That, that is not what God has called us to. So earlier I told you, be very careful what you put out there. Absolutely. Be very careful what you put out there. But be very mindful that you are not hiding away in this little cocoon of I'm not going to talk about it. But you know what that means? That means you have to know what you believe. Bless you. You have to know it. You have to know why you believe what you believe. You have to understand the things that are coming out of the word. It's not just some cursory reading of, oh, here's some things. I'm going to quote a scripture to you, John 3, 16 or whatever. But you have to know it. You have to study it for yourself. You have to be invested in the world, and that is how he becomes that resurrection. That's how he begins to live inside of you. I've had this song stuck in my head for the past two or three weeks. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, his wisdom to impart. Do you know why I know he lives? Anybody? He lives within my heart. He lives within my heart. That is this resurrection and the life and the way and the truth. Because he lives, he lives inside of us. He doesn't just hunker, he's not, he's not had this tiny little throne in our hearts and he's just sitting down and he's waiting for things to happen. What does lives imply? He's, he's out there. You're out there by extension because he lives inside of our hearts to show us, to walk this, path, this narrow path of, of what's going on in this world. It, it's very difficult. Don't, let it, don't ever let anybody tell you that Christianity is easy because it is not easy. I remember being saved a long, long, long time ago. Years and years ago, back when I was a little young, and he, I remember, I remember talking about Christianity with people and, and them saying how easy it was to be a Christian, to become a Christian. Because there's really only two steps, right? The Romans road. You've heard the Romans road, right? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And then you've got the Romans road of salvation and you do all these things. But believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That's all it takes. All it takes to be a Christian is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. There's two steps. It's a two-step program. How hard can that be? It's very difficult because, number one, you have to believe. And believing is hard because you have to not see it and yet believe it. You have to see what's going out in this world and, and hear that, well, God doesn't love people because of all this death and destruction you have to hear about all the hypocrisy. You have to hear about all the things that you can and cannot do. You have to hear and yet believe. You have to not see and yet believe. And so you're walking out there and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I believe. There's all this quote-unquote science. Did you hear that, this election? That, that this was going to be a, an election for or against science because of global warming and because of all these things, whether you believe them or not. All these things were... It's, it's either for or against science. And I don't think it's that easy, but I don't want to talk about that right now. Catch me afterwards. We'll talk about science. It's for or against science. 
and, and when you look at the, uh, the fossil evidence, when you look at all the, uh, the, the scientific um, dating, carbon dating of the earth, and when you look at the planets, there has to be aliens. It, I've heard this. I love this. was my favorite one. You can't take a spoonful of water and say that there are no sharks and whales in the ocean. And that's basically what we've done is we've looked at this tiny area of, of the universe and said, well, there's no aliens here, so there must not be aliens in the infinite expanse of our universe. So there's got to be aliens out there. Because if you were to take this spoonful of water and not see sharks, well, right, there's sharks. We know there's sharks. We know there's whales. So that's proof. That's science, people. Science. It's hard to believe. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of belief. When you know, you know. When, when Jesus lives inside of you, you know truth. You have life. And as science as that is, they have yet to prove that there are aliens. I, you know what I love reading about too? Is they're looking for life on other planets. They're looking for water. Number one, you got to find water. Why? Because water has the building blocks of life most times. So they're looking for water. They're, they found water on the moon. Did you know this? They found water on the moon. They're finding water on Mars. Now they're looking at it, and, and they're saying, hey, there's a better place to find water, and that's Uranus, that there's, there's better uh, locales and places there for us to find life, and so that's going to be our next mission. After we... we conquer Mars, we're going to go conquer that planet. So we're looking all over the place to find life. Why? Why are we so itching to find life on other planets? Have you thought about this? Obviously I have because, yeah. I've thought about why are we itching to find life on other planets? Have you thought about this? Let me tell you why. Because if we find life on other planets and the Bible doesn't talk about that life on other planets, and God must not be real. And if God's not real, then I can do whatever I want. Because there is no God. There's no consequences. And when I die, I'm going to be dead. Do you understand that? If there is no God, my life doesn't matter. And I can do whatever I want. Whenever I want. I can be against whomever I want. Because there is no God. That's what life on other planets really means to these people. That's what it really means. It's proof that there is no God because God doesn't mention aliens in the Bible. And, and hey, that's your proof text, right? The Bible, the Koran, the whatever. If, if that's your proof text and it doesn't mention aliens, then there is no God because this thing was wrong. That's what it's really about. It's not about science. It's about doing whatever they want to do. That's what it's about. You think about that. But here's the thing, we, we may find water. You know what else we might find? Microbes, we might find microbes. We might find proteins and amino acids, all these things that we think are life, but they're not really life. They're not life. They are proteins, amino acids, microbes. We are life. We have purpose. We are what God has created. I, I was about to go into another tirade about uh, evolution, but I'll save that one for later. Uh, another thing, another thing that we can talk about when we talk about science. 
But that's, that's the interesting thing, right? We, we are in a battle for the hearts and the minds of the people. So Christianity is not easy. Your faith is not easy. The second thing, it's not easy to confess with your mouth, especially in this day and age. It's hard to believe. I mean, when you believe, you believe, and that, I find that easy. Maybe it's the gift of faith. I, I, faith, I don't know. It's one thing to believe, but it's a whole other thing to confess, a whole other thing to tell people, here's what I believe and why I believe it. You know what makes that part easy? Knowing what you believe. Because when you are founded in the truth, when you have a foundation of what God is doing in your life, no one can, can explain away the miracles that have happened in your life. Nobody can, because they're, they're your miracles. Someone can say, oh, that's because of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you weren't there. You weren't there. And so you look at it and you say, I'm able to confess with my mouth because I, because I believe. But you've got to have that foundation. If you don't have those two things, you are not able to move forward as a Christian. So I would challenge you, have those two things. Believe and confess. That's what's going to get you to this place where you become the I am's that God has called you to be. These are Jesus's I am. I am the bread. I'm here to provide for you. I am the light. I'm here to show you this way. I'm the door. Knock, knock, and I'm going to let you in. I'm going to give you the things that you need. I am the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth. These are the things that Jesus said he is, and by extension, he wants you to be. Let's look at this last one. I am the true vine. John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what it you will and it shall be done unto you. Let's, let's be very, very clear as we read the scripture. Do you see any coddling in this scripture? Do you see Jesus say, oh, for those of you who are a bruised peach or who have worms coming out of the, I, I love you anyway. You're, you're just a, such a beautiful fruit just the way you are. Is that what it says? No. Look at it. If you're not in me, you're not bearing fruit. And guess what? We have to burn you because you're not bear, bearing fruit. If you are bearing fruit, oh, this is beautiful. If you are bearing fruit, we're going to purge you. We're going to refine you. We're going to prune you. We're going to do special cuttings here and there in order to make you bear even more fruit. So A, you're not doing your job, you get kicked out to the curb. B, you're doing your job, you're going to get kicked around so you can do your job better. You, are you seeing this? I'm not making it up. It's in here. Christianity is not easy, it, but it, it is something that will bring life, and that's the beauty of this. I'm not a gardener. 
just so you know that. I'm not a gardener. I have tried to garden. I have planted cucumbers. I have planted watermelon seeds. I have planted pumpkins. I bought squash at one point in time. I've done just plain flowers at some point. I've got this little area where I put all of my, um, my, my compost. Thank you. Where I put all, all this old food to make some sort of compost. And I think, man, if I just put all my food here and let it rot, mix it up, you know, do all the composty kind of things, that maybe I'll have really good soil and I can use that really good soil to grow things. I've been doing this for four years. Do you know how many fruits and vegetables and flowers I have? Zero. Zero. I have a cousin. I have a lot of cousins, by the way. So you'll hear stories for the rest of my life because I have a lot of cousins. I have one particular cousin named Sophia who is a gardener. And, and I look at her post. She's got a Soph's Garden or something like that online on Instagram. And, and I, I swipe through her pictures because she, it, it looks like she has a packet of seeds and then the very next post is like this giant watermelon that's grown or pumpkin. Very next, very next day, it's like she snaps her fingers and things just grow. But I, I look at her and I try to get ideas of, of what I could do. Uh, so she's panning you know, through her garden. You see all these beautiful vines growing. She's got that, the loofah plant, I don't know what it's called, but it turns into like a loofah when it dies. Um, and she's got pumpkins, she's got uh, cucumbers, she has pepper, she's got all sorts of stuff. And I think, how, how is it that she's doing this? Because she has water, she has dirt, and I have those two things too. I've got sunlight. What else do you need? I have tried. I have tried to garden. I have tried. I've even tried to prune, you know, the little cuttings and you get it where it needs to be. I, I had, we had this beautiful, beautiful rose bush when we first moved in. It, it's now gone and dead. Beautiful, beautiful rose bush. And, and it just started to grow. And you know how roses are, right? They just expand. They grow. And especially if you give them what they need, water and all that stuff. So, so this thing was growing and it was kind of being unwieldy. And I thought, you know what? Um, I, I understand the concept of pruning. I get it. I don't know how to do it, and I don't know how to do it right, but I get it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut off all the dead things in very strategic areas so that it will grow properly and, and kind of refine it so it has some shape um, and gets to where it needs to be. So for, for maybe a few months, um, well, more like more than that, maybe a year or two, I was able to do that, and this thing, you know, did okay. But eventually, I don't know if I just cut it wrong, if I neglected it or what, it died. It died. I'm sorry, it just died. It was probably my fault. I don't know. But the point is, I, I look at this gardening, and I think, man, this is, some, this is hard. Don't think it's easy. I respect all you farmers out there. It is hard stuff to do all this. This is what Jesus is doing to us. Understand, and it hurts. Understand that purging is not fun. Understand, purging, pruning, it, it is refinement. And if you do it right, don't do it my way, if you do it right, then you will have lush, beautiful garden. You can, you will, if you do it right. That is what Jesus does to us. And, and when you do this, what, have you, if, for those of you who have done this, what do you notice on the, on the ground? 
cuttings, leftovers, pieces, the things that, that were dead that were holding you back from growing to be the, the thing that you were supposed to be. So yes, it's gonna hurt. And, and yes, it, it's gonna feel like, wait, why are you doing this? I, I thought Christianity was supposed to be easy and beautiful and perfect and you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Aren't I supposed to just have everything right now? The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say I have the cattle on a thousand hills so that I can give them to you. All it's saying is, look, I have all of this. It's all mine. And I want to get you to a place where it is all yours too. But I got to get you to that place. And it starts way over here. And there's some refinement and there's some pruning and there's some cutting that's going to have to happen in your life. So when we look at this, this I am, the true vine, we are going to have to cut things out of our lives. Sometimes that's people. Sometimes that's, that's um, fun things, or things that we used to think were fun. Though sometimes those are thoughts, ideas, processes that we used to have or have today that God has to cut, of our, cut out of our lives. And I believe, by extension, we've been talking about how this applies to you and then how this applies to you and other people. By extension, look, we have been called to be disciples and to make disciples. So, so at what point do we speak up and we say to an individual, not via emojis and text, but through conversation, hey, there are things that you probably don't need in your life right now. How do, how do we get to that place? That, that takes relationship. That takes understanding. That takes conversation. But you have got to be into a place where those that you are influencing are changing because of your relationship with God. And that's really what these I am's are all about. They're for you. Hey, I, Jesus, am this for you. But by extension, you, my people, need to be this for the rest of humanity so that we can all be in alignment with what God is doing. And I've put down there Galatians 5.22. This is the fruit that you will bear when you are pruned. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified, crucified the flesh with affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us exemplify these things. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit. When you can say, yep, I, I follow these and I am this for every single person. Man, you're getting there. That's, that's really the ultimate. That's, that's our last scripture. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak to, to these people. Lord, I pray for whoever was elected. I'm, I'm not going to go into conspiracy theories. If it was Biden, Father, bless him. Bless this administration let them hear your voice. Change whatever needs to be changed in his heart and his, in his life. I am not worried about it because I know we have you to rely on. You are the two, true governor. You are the true ruler of our hearts and this land, and we submit that to you. Father, I know it's going to be a rocky road. We're not afraid. We're not scared. We're not worried. We know that you have all these things in your hand, and you are in control, and we rely on you. And Father, we just pray that, that we be the people that you have called us to be. Let us be these I am's to the world as you have been these things to us. We love you. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great afternoon, and we will see you next week or online.